has just said, I sent him to Herod, and Herod found nothing worthy of death in him. I have examined him, and I find no fault in him. I will therefore chastise him, and release him, for of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city, and for murder, was cast into prison. Pilate therefore, willing to release Jesus, speak again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him, and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices, requiring that he be crucified. And the voices of them and the chief priests prevailed, and Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired, but delivered Jesus to their will. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment, and they cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided Jesus, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, offering him vinegar, and saying, If you be the king of the Jews, save yourself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the King of the Jews. Our teacher, Dr. John G. Mitchell, was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. Our name, the Unchanging Word, reflects the fact that the eternal Word of God is never changed and never will. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Beginning in Luke chapter 23, verse 16, Pilate says he wants to release Jesus, but the crowd wants Jesus crucified no matter what. Sinful unbelief is adamant against the Savior at all costs. So Pilate, under pressure, provides the people with a criminal named Barabbas in accord with the custom that he should release a prisoner during Passover. So Pilate handed Barabbas to them and Jesus to crucifixion. Now here's the picture of the gospel. Jesus is our substitute. He bore the penalty that we, in our sin, deserve. He was the just one who suffered on behalf of the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Now Luke brings out that the two criminals were crucified at the same time, one on the left and the other on the right, with Jesus at the center. Well, here's Dr. Mitchell on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast, Luke chapter 23, verse 16. And we again come to you with our studies in the Gospel through Luke, and we're in the 23rd chapter of this Gospel, where we're dealing with the 
the judging of our Savior by the, by the religious court and then by the civil court and then by the dissolute court, worldly court of Herod. The issue before the Jewish court was the person of Christ. He claimed to be the Son of God. They said this was blasphemy, and hence he must be crucified, he must be killed. Before Pilate, the issue was the, his character. Pilate didn't care who Jesus was. The question was, what's he done? And there's no excuse for Pilate because he found no fault in Jesus. Yet he scourged him. Then our Lord stood before the worldly court of Herod, and Herod wanted to be, to be amused by the Lord Jesus Christ because he wanted Jesus to perform some miracle before him. And you remember how the Lord ignored Herod. And the result was the Lord never spoke to Herod. In fact, as far as I know, he's the only one to whom our Lord did not speak. And Herod's soldiers, you remember, put a crown of thorns on his head and put a, a robe upon him and bowed the knee and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and so on. And they sent him back to Pilate. And then all these three groups became one that day. The Jews who hated the, the Romans were one with the Romans. Pilate and Herod were enemies, now they're friends. And they're all linked together on one thing. The issue is Jesus Christ. My friend, I'll tell you, wherever Jesus Christ is, that's the issue. What will you do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they said, away with him, crucify him. Now, let us go down to, to um, verse 16 of chapter 20 to pick up the connection. Pilate has just said, I sent, him to Pilate, I sent Jesus to Herod, and Herod found no, nothing worthy of death in him. I have examined him, and I find no fault in him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city, and for murder, was cast into prison. Pilate therefore, willing to release Jesus, speak again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. Let me just stop here for a moment. Here our Lord is before these three groups. May I, may I just say in passing, when I spoke a moment ago about uh, Jesus Christ being the issue and that the hate of the Jewish leaders and the, and the weakness of Pilate and the arrogancy and worldliness of Herod, all of them are knitted together against the Savior. You see, you have the priests manifesting their hate. We see Pilate violating justice and we see Herod degenerate Herod, amused, and yet the calmest one, the most dignified one of the whole group, was the one whom they were having in court, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was on trial. 
then you remember, Herod thought he had a way out of it. They didn't accept his scourging, so he said, all right, at this time of the feast, we have a custom and that we set some prisoner free. Now I offer you the vilest man I've got in my jail, Barabbas, a man who was a murderer, a man who was a seditionist, a man who was life full of trouble. He was one of the worst men he had in the jail, possibly the worst man he had in the jail. And the Lord was going to crucify three, three criminals. Pilate was going to crucify three criminals, Barabbas and these other two thieves. And as a rule, the worst one was going to be on the center cross. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that Barabbas would have been on the center cross. I'm going to release one at the feast. Surely, surely, they will accept this Jesus in whom I find no fault. They'd rather accept him than Barabbas, that murderer, that profligate, that thief and vagabond. Surely they won't accept Barabbas. So he said, I'll give you a choice, Jesus or Barabbas. And they chose Barabbas, release Barabbas. They preferred, can I say, they preferred a murderer to a saviour. You remember we had that in chapter 19 when the Lord Jesus wept over Jerusalem. At the end of chapter 19, he wept over Jerusalem. Why? Because they were going to choose a destroyer to a deliverer. And in 70 AD, the city was absolutely destroyed and the temple was destroyed and over a million Jews, over two million Jews, if I understand correctly, were butchered, and over a hundred thousand went into slavery. They chose a murderer instead of a savior. Friend, whom do you choose? Do you choose these Jews, Pilate, Herod, Barabbas, or do you choose Jesus? Look at this crowd. Jews filled with hate. Pilate violating justice, Herod degenerate and amused, and now Barabbas a murderer, all together. Jesus to be crucified. It's beyond, it's beyond the ken of the human heart to understand the depths to which men and women will go because of jealousy and hatred. Unbelief, I repeat it, my friend, is a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Now we get down to the verdict. Verse 23, And they were instant with loud voices, requiring that he be crucified. And the voices of them and the chief priests prevailed, and Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired but delivered Jesus to their will. Now as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon a Cyrenian coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Let me just stop here again. The sinless one is to take the place of the guilty one. The sinless one is going to be take the place of this murderer. Again, I'm reminded of Galatians, you remember chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul says, concerning our Savior, who loved me 
and gave himself for me. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 40, gave himself for our sins. In 1 Peter 3.18, he gave himself for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he hath made him to be sin for us. What I'm stressing here is the fact that the Savior took your place and the Savior took my place. How could the sinless one die? The wages of sin is death. But he didn't any sin. Even Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Then why be crucified? Because in the purpose of God, Jesus sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He sent his son that we might live through him. He sent his son to put away his, your sin, my sin, but the sacrifice of himself. We could quote with the Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath made, laid on him the iniquity of us all. And they delivered him over to be crucified. And Galatians chapter 3, 13 says, Cursed is anyone who hangeth upon a tree. They made him an accursed thing. Remember this, will you? Now go down to verse 27. And when you come down to verse 27, we have the question of the women. And from verse 27 through 49, we have the crucifixion of our Savior. And first of all, 27 to 31, you have the answer to the women. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning into them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me. Weep for yourselves, for your children. For behold, the days are coming in which they which shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. If they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in a dry? If they're suffering now when the king is present, what is, going to be hap what is going to happen to them when they're gone? Blessed are the ones who have no children. He goes on to speak of the fact, because in a few years after this, in 70 AD, or shall I say, in 67 AD, the Roman general with his army came and surrounded Jerusalem. And then they withdrew from Jerusalem. At that time, I believe the Christians in Jerusalem uh, escaped out of the city. And then Titus came back with more soldiers and surrounded the city and then destroyed the city and destroyed the temple. Better for them not to have children than to see their children beheaded, killed, and torn to pieces by the Romans, which took place only a few years after our Lord was crucified. That's why he's saying to the women here, when they were bewailing him because he was going to be crucified, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Weep for your own children. And he goes on to speak it of it. If, they, if you do that, well, I'm here. What's going to happen after I'm gone? And destruction and judgment comes upon you. The Lord is speaking to the women. Now, starting at verse 32, we have the crucifixion, 32 to 46. Now, I would like you to look at these verses for a few moments. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, 
There they crucified him. The malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment, and they cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided Jesus, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, offering him vinegar, and saying, If you be the king of the Jews, save yourself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Now let me add in this that when you come to, the, to Matthew and Mark, both thieves railed on Christ. When the leaders of the Jews railed on Christ, quoting the Psalms, you remember they quoted the 22nd Psalm, and our Lord answered with the 22nd Psalm. Uh, all of them derailed, deriled and, and derided him and mocked and scoffed at him. I would like just for a few moments to, to look at this, these verses 20, 32 to 46. In fact, I'll just go down to verse 38. First of all, concerning his crucifixion, they put him to death. He was crucified between two malefactors. Verse 34, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Do you ever think of such love, such grace? It's only in Luke you find this, by the way. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You remember, if I may go back to the beginning of this gospel through Luke, we said that in Matthew, our Lord is revealed as the trespass offering. Mark is revealed as the sin offering. And Luke is revealed as the peace offering. And John is revealed as the burnt offering. You'll notice in Matthew and Mark, there is separation from God. There is no separation in Luke and no separation in John. See, he's the peace offering. I want you to mark Luke's gospel because Luke gives us things that none of the other gives us. Father, forgive them. You remember the whole gospel through Luke is full of this question of prayer. Our Lord prayed when he was baptized by John and Jordan. He was praying on the Mount of Transfiguration when he was transfigured. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying and in such agony that the angels came and sustained him. And now on the cross, he's praying again. And by the way, Christians, may I remind you that today and for 1900 years, our Lord has been praying continually for his people. You find that in Hebrews chapter 7, 25. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Same thing in Romans chapter 8. Uh, 27 and verse 34. Our Lord is always praying for his own people. Never gets tired praying for you and for me. But look at this. Father, forgive them. They know not what to do. He prayed for his murderers. He prayed for his murderers. You know, there are two verses that come to my mind. In the book of Acts chapter 3, verse 17. Acts chapter 3, verse 17 the Apostle Peter, when he's giving his second message to Israel, and by the way, it's the last message to Israel, he said, I wot not, when he's speaking of the crucifixion of our Savior, he could say, I wot not that your leaders did it ignorantly. They crucified him in ignorance. And yet they had a committee meeting to put him to death. 
But you see, from their viewpoint, they were doing what Moses commanded. If there come among you one who claims to be a prophet and does uh, and makes performs miracles and does great signs and wonders, take him out and stone him. Take him out and stone him. This Jesus came along declaring that he was God. He claimed that he was the Jehovah of the Old Testament. He claimed to be the, the El Shaddai of Genesis. He claimed to be Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah said, can you? He fulfilled all the names of God in the Old Testament. And he proved that by his miracles. From their viewpoint, he was a blasphemer. But you see, my friend, they were so full of jealousy and envy for the Savior that unbelief hardened their hearts and nothing would satisfy them. And yet, Peter says, they did it ignorantly. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. If I might quote from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, had they known it, the princes of this world would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I think he has the Gentiles there in mind. The Jews crucified one, I'm making the I'm repeating these statements. They crucified one in whom who claimed to be God. The Gentiles crucified one whom they found no fault. And yet Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what to do. Oh, the depth of the love of the Savior, even for his murderers. In chapter 9, he wept over Jerusalem. In chapter 23, he prayed for those who killed him. And mark their mockery. They mocked him. He saved others. Let him save himself. He be Christ, the chosen of God. Or as one of the Matthew says, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. And then you have the soldiers, you know, fulfilling the 22nd and 69th Psalm. They, they parted his, rom, his garments among them, and they cast lots for his vesture. And in verse 36, they mocked him, coming to him, and they offered him vinegar. And the Jews said, If you be the king of the Jews, save yourself, and so on. Do you ever stop to think that these Gentiles who knew nothing about the Bible were fulfilling the Bible? I remember one time a friend of mine, I tried, when I became a Christian, we used to work together in the shops, in the machine shops, and I gave my testimony, and I, in trying to prove to him that the Lord Jesus Christ was the Son of God, I went to the, this crucifixion scene, and as I'd say, the very detail of his first coming was prophesied a thousand years before he came. And his answer to me was this. Well, he said, that's, that's understandable. He said, Jesus was a Jew, and he knew the Psalms. Uh, these priests and scribes and leaders were Jews. They knew the Psalms. So when the Lord uh, quoted one Psalm, they answered him with the same Psalm. Why, nothing wrong about that. That's very easily understood. That doesn't make him the Christ of God. That doesn't make him fulfill the Old Testament Scripture. I said, by the way, did these Roman soldiers know the Bible? Well, no, he said, they don't. Then why did they gamble over his garments and give him vinegar? Well, you remember in the 22nd Psalm, the 69th Psalm, it says that they would 
gamble over his garments. And in, their, in his thirst, when he said, I thirst, they gave him vinegar mixed with gall. Who told these Roman soldiers to do that? My friend, a thousand years before it took place, God declared the experiences of our Savior being crucified and of what the Jews would say when he was crucified and of what the Gentiles would do while he was being crucified. To me, it's an astounding thing, the Word of God. You can trust the Bible, my friend. It's God's communication to you and to me. It's not primarily a textbook. It's God's Word to you. God communicating to you the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. And even in the crucifixion of the Lord, remember, they fulfilled every detail. As I said a while ago in the 50th Psalm, I gave my back to the smiters. I gave my cheeks to those who plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame or spitting, but he that standeth by me shall justify me. 52, his face was marred more than any man's. Chapter 53, the whole chapter. Fulfilled in detail when our Savior came and died on the cross for you and for me. He's worth, my friend, he's worth having as a Savior. Why don't you put your trust in the Lord Jesus and pass from death to life? And the Lord bless you today for his name's sake. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.